to Romans chapter 4. We're seeing Paul, he's laid, he's laid out the case of universal sin uh, after telling he was going to, his content in the letter was going to be the gospel, the gospel in which there is righteousness through faith. In the uh, second half of chapter 1, 2, and the second half of 3, he developed the fact that both Jew and Gentile are under sin and need a, under sin and need a Savior, that no one could save, their, save themselves by being good enough, by keeping God's law. We cannot cleanse the stain of our sin. Uh, we need someone else to save us. And he begins the good news of justification by faith alone. A Savior has come. Righteousness has come. And through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and cleansed from our sin, clothed in His righteousness as a gift. So being justified or declared righteous by God on the basis of the righteousness of our Savior, being united to Him and hidden in Him through faith. Trusting in Christ, we are saved. We are justified. And so he brings Abraham to the fore and shows that just as we in the, in the new covenant era are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, so too was, were those in the old covenant era, the elect there as well, represented by Abraham and David, both justified by faith alone, same way of salvation, Old and New Testament, same Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's shown us that Abraham is the father of all who have faith, both of Jew and the Gentile that that was God's plan and intentional. And I'm going to pick up in verse 13 of chapter 4 and just read a short section. Um, I have a, a particular purpose today. We're going to look at really just part of one verse um, and the application, the right teaching of that and the application of that. So um, I'm going to read a short section before I do that. In chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is not, for it, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. For law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to love you by rightly interpreting and understanding your word. So help us to do that. Help me to preach your word. Help us to hear your word. Help us to be willing to turn from everything that dishonors you and your word. To forsake every so-called teacher who is not really teaching your truth. And to embrace the truth taught by faithful teachers. Ultimately, you, Lord Jesus. The truth revealed by the Spirit illuminated by the Spirit, applied by the Spirit. Help us today, Lord. So bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. May you be honored and glorified. May your people be converted and sanctified. And Lord, in this day in which we live, make us both passionate and bold for you. Light in the midst of the darkness all around us. Hope in the midst of the despair. Witnesses to the resurrection. And the gospel and the glory of Christ. So bless us today. We look to you. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. 
Adam was manifested in the flesh. Adam was God manifested in the flesh. Adam was not subordinate to God. Jesus took on the nature of Satan when he was on the cross. Every Christian is a God. I feel like I need to take a bath. Kenneth Copeland. Look at this. The believer is as much an incarnation as was Jesus of Nazareth. Copeland's teacher. Kenneth Hagin. Now we really dive into wacky waters. Adam went to the moon. Adam walked on the water. Benny Hinn. A more popular representative of this school of thought. You can cancel out God's plan by speaking negative words. If that's true, who's God? Joel Smiling Osteen. These men and their many others are part of what's known as the word of faith. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Not a lot. But they, listen to me, look at me. They are false teachers. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're a danger to the body of Christ. I know this makes some of you nervous, but why would I call them out? Think of a shepherd in the field with his flock, and he leads them right into the woods where the wolves are. Or he doesn't warn them or even steer them away from the wolves. Wouldn't be a very good shepherd, would he? So I, I, part of being a pastor and a shepherd is to be willing to, to, to call out false teachers. But besides that, it's biblical. Paul did it. He called out Hymenaeus, Alexander, Philetus in 1st and 2nd Timothy. Why? Because they were a danger to God's church. The, the sheep need to know to avoid them. And in 1st Timothy 5.20, we are told to publicly rebuke pastors who remain in sin. These men claim to be that. These men teach these foolish things publicly. We need to be willing to call them out. Why would I do this today? It seems like an odd day to do this, doesn't it? Well, the reason I do it today is because our text today is one that they twist and misuse to promote their heresy. They yank it out of context and twist it and promote all sorts of unbiblical, harmful mess. There's a great Greek word for um, what these guys are teaching. You, you, you know what it is? Hogwash. <laughs> Today we really will kind of look at uh, Romans 4.17. I named this sermon The Force. Little gods and powerful words. And my main point for today, just from really the second half of verse 17, trust God. Trust God. Not yourself, not any other man. Trust God. He is the only one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence from nothing. Trust God. He's the only one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence from nothing. Again, I'm looking at the second half of 417 in the presence of God who's called, called Abraham the father of many nations. This is the God in whom he believed who it says gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. And this verse gets twisted and torqued 
to say that since God does that, we can do that. And that's not true. But examples of those who teach word of faith, heresy, is the right word for it. Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar. What a name for a false teacher that wants your money. Jesse Duplantis. Almost anyone you would see on TBN. Now they have made some changes and there's some other people on there, but there's still a lot of this stuff on there. Many, many others who basically put the power in man's hand as to what happens in our lives. And it's pretty widespread and exported into other countries. See, these, these, these word of faith teachers misuse Romans 4.17 and a lot of other scriptures. Anytime you hear somebody quoting it, they just kind of yank it out of context or maybe a half of a verse, right? They yank it out of context and, and try to teach something with it. You have to be sure that they're not violating the context. You know, we give references sometimes, but we've researched those and making sure that we're not violating the context of the passage. If you use this kind of cafeteria, sort of picking and choosing from verses and pieces of verses, you can make the Bible say anything. I mean, I can quote the Bible and show you where there is no God. The Bible says there is no God. Now, the context of that is the fool says... In his heart, there is no God. But if I just pull there is no God out, look, it can seem like I'm teaching the Bible because I give, I give a reference in this part of the verse. But these people misuse Romans 4.17. They use it as a pretext for persuading their devotees that through the force of faith, they can call things that are not as though they were. In other words, from their perspective... We can create realities by speaking these realities into existence. That is not Christianity. That's pagan religion. That's more coming from the secret and the law of attraction than it is from your Bible. They misuse Scripture. But I, the reason I gave those quotes and the reason I'll say what, what little I'm going to say today about the Word of Faith, you hear me a lot talk about how much I don't like that teaching. And I just wanted to put a few more bones on that this, this morning so that you can see. I'm not just sort of picking with somebody over an interpretation of Scripture. It's not just a difference of, of opinion over what Scripture teaches. It's two different religions. The Word of Faith teachings and those people are promoting a different religion than Christianity. And it's dangerous for you. What is the word of faith? Where did that even come from? Well, its founder was a man named E.W. Kenyon. And E.W. Kenyon studied under Phineas Quinby, who was the founder of a thing called New Thought. And alongside him was Mary Baker Eddy. You ever heard that name? Founder of Christian Science, which is neither Christian nor science. It's foolishness. But they combined this, what they called mind science, with Pentecostalism and came up with a mix of Christianity and mysticism, as well as other things. So Kenyon, though, was, was, was a teacher of Kenneth Hagin. You may have heard of Kenneth Hagin, who's often called the father of the Word of Faith movement. He studied under E.W. Kenyon. And he, he kind of sort of made the Word of Faith movement what it is today. Now, Kenneth Hagin's student was Kenneth Copeland. So you, we're coming out of this mind science mess, down through Kenyon, Hagin all the way to Copeland. And Copeland has been the one that's probably most popularized this false teaching, as well as having help from, from many others. 
And the last person I quoted from was Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen has a particular mix of new thought, new age teaching, mixed with shallow Christian lingo that appeals to the masses. This ought to tell you all you need to know. He's Oprah Winfrey's favorite preacher. Oprah Winfrey is the biggest promoter of New Age teachings in America. In case you were wondering, Oprah Winfrey is not a Christian. I just judge her by her own words. She denies what Jesus says. One lady I heard interviewed talked about how Joel Osteen was her favorite preacher when she was in the New Age. Because he was saying a lot of the same things that she taught. Positive confession, name it and claim it, creating your own reality, all of that kind of thing. Why would I pick on such a popular person? I have no problem with the popularity if it's true gospel popularity. But the stuff that he's peddling and the stuff that Hagen and Copeland and, and Hen and Joseph Prince, and I mean, it's a wide range of people, is anti-Christian. It's anti-faith. It's made up mess that is a danger to your soul. Let me give you a few of the cardinal doctrines of the Word of Faith movement. Number one, the force of faith. Faith is a force that you can activate through your words to bring about a desired outcome. Be it health, be it wealth, be it whatever. See, and they would try to teach you that God was activating His faith when He spoke creation into existence. In case you don't know it, that's heresy. The force of faith. Faith becomes this thing, this power that you activate through your words. Number two, little gods. So the force of faith, and that flows out of that, that the Christian is a little god. No, they literally say this. You can find audio to hear them say this. God created humans in His little, is His literal image. So therefore man is a little God. They say things like, before the fall, man could call things into existence using his faith force. But in the fall, he lost that ability. So in salvation, the Holy Spirit replicates the incarnation in believers. So they become little gods. Again, can you see how important sound theology is? Because this is not it. Copeland, Bill Johnson, Bethel is another one. Believe that we can do everything Jesus did. I heard Copeland say with his mouth on a recording that we can be as smart as Jesus. I think I'd have had to back out of that room. I mean, God is patient and long-suffering, but I don't know why a lightning bolt doesn't consume some of these guys. You can be as smart as Jesus. You are a little God. What God is God and He created us in His image like Him, so He must have been making little gods. <laughs> Believers can have the ability to manipulate the force of faith to become prosperous in all areas of life, to deal with illness and sin and poverty, because those are all a result of a lack of faith. Anything bad that happens to you is a result of your lack. I mean, Copeland even, Kenneth Copeland says this, the only thing that can stop healing is in your life is unbelief. 
So really the fundamental lies as old as the garden, right? You shall be as God. By the way, Mr. Copeland bound COVID in 2020. Now, if you have a preacher that's foolish enough to stand up in front of you and do something like that and tell you God told him to do it, and then COVID is unbound for since then, what should you do? Find yourself another teacher. But no, people don't. They're afraid to. They think they might be speaking a word against God's anointed. I'm standing up here and tell you tonight, I'm not, or today, I'm not speaking against God's anointed. I'm speaking against people who twist the scripture, who take captive the flock, who built the flock, who fly around in jets and live in mansions and tell you to give to them so that you'll be blessed. Who put the power in our words. See, we're little gods and we have the force of faith which we activate with our words. So thirdly, our words have created creative power. And, and Romans 4.17 is one of the verses they use for this. Look at it. This is a quote by Joel Osteen. And I'm going to demonstrate to you what I'm talking about. And this is one of the quotes that I was listening to the lady who came out of the New Age and New Thought, kind of a mix. That's really kind of hard to define anyway. But she said that this is exactly what she was teaching when she was not a Christian, when she was in this mind, science, new age, new thought. Osteen says this, If you want to know where you're going to be five years from now, just listen to what you are saying about yourself. As long as you speak defeat, you will live in defeat. I believe our words are prophesying our future. I think you have to speak words of faith. You have to say what you want to be. This is him talking. I did a teaching on the power of I am. That's another book of his you should never read. It's teaching you to take God's name, I am, and then put behind it what you want to be. And it will come to pass. As though it was some abracadabra. Y'all know praying in Jesus' name is not equivalent to abracadabra, right? Look at what he says. Whatever follows those two words is going to come looking for you. That's straight out of the law of attraction. The secret. Not out of your Bible. Example, when you say, I'm never going to get out of debt, debt will come looking for me. But if I say, I am strong, I am talented, I am well able, I am successful, you know what's happening? Success is looking for you. That is not Christianity. That is not the Bible. How do they come up with such bad, unbiblical ideas? Two things. Well, I three things. Bad hermeneutics, in other words, the science of interpretation of the Bible, they, they don't know how to interpret the Bible. They do the picky and choosy thing. Right? New revelation. They think they're hearing new revelation that's authoritative for the church. I mean, Kenneth Copeland will even talk like he's talking to Jesus sometimes in a sermon. He's not. And just making stuff up. They would just make stuff up. But listen, they forget the most basic rule of biblical interpretation, which is context. Like our verse today, they'll pull it out of its context, paste it up, paste it up on a screen or on paper or in a book, and then talk about, surround it with their bad theology to show that you too can be like God and do this thing. See, whenever, whenever someone's teaching and they quote the Bible, it sounds like they're teaching the Bible. I mean, Satan did that when he was tempting Jesus, didn't he? Tried to use scripture in the wrong way. So they yank verses out of context, patch them together, sound like they're teaching the Bible, or they just make stuff up based on new revelation. Listen to me, look at me. 
One of, the, one of the important things of the sufficiency of Scripture, there are no new revelations that are authoritative for the church. I'm not saying the Spirit won't impress you or lead you or do things in your life. But He's not given any more Scripture that is authoritative for the church. There's not this hidden truth that only these guys, the initiates, have that they'll dispense to you so that you'll have a successful Christian life. Gnosticism, by the way. But see, this is just a couple of ways that I wanted to show you. When they talk about faith being a force, us being little gods, our words, therefore, have created power. We speak things into existence so that we never make a negative confession and we won't always be making positive confessions so that those things are what manifest themselves in our lives. If you want to know more, I, I just can't... I'm, it, Again, I feel like I need a bath just talking about what they teach. But I do want to warn you, these, this is not just different ideas about Christianity. These are wolves. Some of them well-dressed, de- well good-looking, and speak well. But what they're teaching is not Christianity. And you need to watch out for it and beware of it. But listen, I would encourage you, if you're not that familiar with Word of Faith and how it, how it is um, uh, associated with new thought and new age and things like that, listen to this podcast. It's, it, there's a podcast called Cultish. And if you look up the podcast, you look, search for Cultish in the podcast and listen to episodes 65 and 66. One of the things I appreciate about that podcast, and they talk about all kinds of things, and you'll have to scroll pretty far back to get to 65 and 66. But what they'll do when they're talking about a cult or a false teaching, they'll bring in people who used to be part of those false teachings and interview them and talk about the... the so you've got people who, who have come out of the New Age and New Thought who even went through the Word of Faith on that podcast talking about it and exposing it for what it is. So um, it, it, go listen to those podcasts. Pay attention. Take notes. You'll see um, what I'm telling you is just a, the bare summary of what the truth is. But you'll also be able to have a little bit better understanding why sometimes when I mention Word of Faith or Kenneth Copeland, well, you see anger on my face. Because they are, they are, they are, they're wolves. They're taking advantage of God's flock. They're assuring people of heaven who aren't going there. They're, they're tickling ears. And listen, what's the easiest way to take advantage of somebody? Promise them everything they desire. And you can give it to them. But go listen to, to the podcast. Go listen to that cultish read. You know, we can, we can talk about that. Well, what is the antidote to the word of faith as well as to all other false teachings? It's sound theology. If you have good theology, if you know your Bible, if you're reading your word and you have it in context in your heart, when people teach stuff like that, you're gonna, you might not know why it's wrong, but you're going you're gonna to know. No, that's, that's, that's not biblical. And you'll be, you'll be protected. Sound theology telling us who God is and, and that God is sovereign, that we are, what it means to be made in the image of God. What is the incarnation? We're not in a repetition of the incarnation. So that's just a summary for me to say. Romans 17 does not teach that we can give life to the dead and call things into existence existence that do not do exist briefly what is it teaching look look back in Romans 4 Paul's talking about the promise and inheriting the promise and that having to be through faith and he says in verse 16 that is why it depends on faith not on our performance not on our keeping the law that the promise may rest on grace promise of redemption We talked about that last time. And be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, both Jew and Gentile. One way of salvation. It rests on grace, not performance. It's guaranteed to all his offspring through faith. And you may may be sitting here listening to me or listening to me over the live stream, or you may have cut it off by now, I don't know. 
and not really understanding why I'm getting so exercised or what all this faith stuff means or why are we talking about this. But the promise, redemption, salvation, us being reconciled to God rests on grace. It is through faith. It's justification by faith alone. What does all that mean? Well, it's our response to the gospel that God requires and He grants. But what is the gospel? Which is another reason. The, a lot of times those people mention Jesus and they'll, they'll make a few, but they don't preach about sin and wrath and condemnation and hell and why you need a Savior and then tell you the fullness of what that salvation is and what Christ has accomplished. But because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we are under condemnation uh, apart from Christ because we need a Savior and it has to be outside of ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Because God has planned redemption, has given a people to His Son, Christ came to save those people. But He didn't just come from heaven and pop on the cross. He was born under His own law. See, He had to fulfill what we had broken. He was the second Adam who would succeed where Adam had failed. He was born under His own law in a humble way. And His humiliation began there. And he kept that law out of love for the Father in thought, word, and deed. He performed all righteousness. He fulfilled all righteousness. He was qualified to be the perfect, spotless, unblemished lamb who would be the sacrifice for our sins. He took our guilt upon himself and suffered our penalty on the cross. That's what it means when it says Christ died for our sins. That means he was paying what we should have had to pay. He was taking the condemnation and wrath we deserve because none of us have kept His law in thought, word, and deed. In fact, we've all broken all of it in thought, word, and deed. So Christ lived a perfect life and then He died a perfect death by becoming the Lamb of God, the substitute, the great high priest who would sacrifice Himself once for all to save His people. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes into Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Those who believe. So what does God require of us? It rests on faith, on grace, and it's by faith that it might be guaranteed. It depends on faith. That means we, the Spirit, in the context of the gospel coming to us, the Spirit quickens us. We're dead. We're regenerated. And therefore we turn and we trust in Christ. Repentance. Turning from rebellion against God to God. From loving sin and pursuing that to pursuing God. To receiving Christ as our Savior. Trusting, placing all of our hope in Jesus and resting there. Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone this morning? That He lived for you. His righteousness is your righteousness. That He died for you. That the penalty you should pay went on Him and it is paid, done away with. That you have been forgiven and cleansed of your sin and clothed in His righteousness and adopted into the family of God. All through faith. Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone this morning? If not, my call is repent and believe. Turn to Him and receive Him as your Savior. And if you are, rededication to Him, to loving Him and following Him and living for Him, to knowing Him. You can't be claim to be following Jesus and not be in His Word. And not be spending time with Him in prayer and not loving fellowship with His people. If you're not in this Word, you will be a victim of false teachers who will promise you what you want to hear. Be careful. Follow Christ. Rest in God's grace in Christ. Trust in Christ in Christ alone for salvation. As we sung earlier this morning. The, the promise rests on grace. It depends on faith. It is through faith that it's guaranteed to all the offspring of Abraham, both Jew and Gentile, who have the down payment or the presence of the Spirit as a guarantee. Now look what else it says here. After saying Abraham is the father of us all, in verse 17 it says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God... Abraham being the father of many nations, he's believing God. It says, in the presence of God in whom he believed. 
in the presence of God in whom he believed. God, Abraham believed, even though he had no seed at that point, he believed God was going to be faithful to his promise to grant him that innumerable seed that, that he told him, look at the stars of heaven, so shall your descendants be. And even we've seen this, he looked through that promise to Christ who would come and be that seed and foundation of that people who were promised to him. But at that point he had no seed. But he believed that God could, could and would call his descendants into existence even though they did not yet exist. Look, in the presence of God, in whom he believed, who? Now this is speaking of God. Who gives life to the dead? And calls into existence the things that do not exist. Abraham trusted God to do what he had promised. Abraham, no, listen to me. Abraham nowhere spoke this into existence. I decree that I will have a seed as numerable as the stars. He didn't say that. He didn't have to say that. He trusted God to be faithful to his promise. Listen to me, you can't find one biblical example of people talking like that or praying like that. They don't talk like Kenneth Copeland. They don't talk like Joel Osteen. They don't pray like Joel Osteen because they didn't believe what they believed. There's not one biblical example of anybody decreeing anything. They're trying to sort of use this force of faith to bind God to do what they want. Him to do. I know that's not the way they put it. Abraham trusted God and waited for God to fulfill his promise. And that's where it says, teaches us something about God. That he gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that don't exist. What is the context of that passage? What is the dead that passage is talking about? Abraham and Sarah she was barren her womb was dead the way of women was no longer with her Abraham's an old dude that's not that doesn't happen it says in verse 19 he didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or the barrenness of Sarah's womb. See, that's the, in the context, Abraham is believing that God can do what he promised he can do. I mean, why was Abraham willing to sacrifice Isaac? Because he believed God would raise him from the dead. Metaphorically, he did. See, there was this faith in God being able to do what he's promised to do. Now, Abraham didn't have a perfect faith. We'll talk about Abraham, nature of Abraham's faith next time. But I just want you to see how this fits together. That we don't pluck this verse out of context. It's, to, it's showing us something about Abraham. You know, God gives life to the dead. Who's that? That was him. I mean, obviously, he talks about resurrection and Christ, and we can go on a long way down the road of resurrection. But we don't give life to the dead. God does that. And God's the one that calls into existence the things that don't exist. Like that innumerable seed He promised to him. It wasn't a reality yet when it was promised. But it was coming. Why? Because God had promised it. God was in control. It was according to His plan. He would bring it about. He was revealing His plan. But this verse can in no way in context be used to teach that there, since God did that, now I can run off and start doing that. I mean, some really sad stuff comes out of this teaching. I think it was Bethel where a precious little girl died and they wouldn't bury her. They spent a long time declaring she was going to be raised from the dead and doing all this silly stuff. You know what? She died. She stayed dead. 
It didn't do anything. I mean, these are the same people that closed their healing rooms in their churches during COVID. Gosh, if there was ever a time to show, no plague will come near my tent, healing it, all I got to do is claim it, wouldn't that have been it? These people don't run to the local hospital and start healing people and bringing them out of the hospital. Because they're false teachers with bad theology. They take advantage of people. Abraham didn't turn and start calling things into existence. Didn't, neither did Paul or any of the apostles start teaching or praying that way. In fact, Isaiah says God is the only one who does this kind of thing. Isaiah 44, 6-8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Watch. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. What's the implication of that? Nobody. Nobody. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let him declare what is to come and what will happen. Implication. He can't. The false gods can't. False teachers can't. Fear not nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You're to be my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Christians are not supposed to be any form of glorified fortune tellers. We're in no way to boss God around. There's no formula for us to pray to make sure we, we get, you know. Anyone who says man can do what this says God's can, God can do is lying and twisting Scripture. So run from them. Please. As a shepherd, I plead with you, as the sheep of the Lord, avoid these wolves. They're not good for you. How do you know you sort of... See, we have some of this stuff left in our theology, don't we? When we try to claim an outcome. Or I declare, I won't be sick. You see this on Facebook where you take verses out of their context. No plague will come near your tent. Claim it. Bad theology has bad results and it usually hurts people or it always hurts people. Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Jesse Duplantis, Meyer, Prince, no, not the artist formerly known as, Joseph, Joel Osteen. Run from ear ticklers. Run from people who promise you you can have everything you want if you'll just listen to them. Run to truth. Run to people who faithfully teach you the truth. So just a few words of application. One of the reasons I'm doing this today, we came upon the text... We're also ordaining an elder today whose, whose responsibility to, will be with us to not just teach the flock but to correct those who oppose and be willing to speak out against the wolves. So the reason I did this today, and this is a very summary, we'll come back to a lot of this as we move through Romans, but the application is guiding the sheep clear of danger and wolves is the shepherd's job. And I know it makes many of you uncomfortable when we're doing this. But we would be hirelings if we did not identify the wolves. Scripture commands us to do so. I know in the current milieu, even more than probably before, uh, people are hesitant to call other people wrong. This postmodern mindset. You know, if, if, if nobody's wrong, nobody's right. Right? But God has given us the truth that we might know Him in His ways and therefore be able to identify error. And when we identify it, we need to speak out against it. Scripture commands us to do so. So get over your discomfort if it makes you uncomfortable. If you think I'm wrong, come tell me. Happy to hear that. The second application, especially since we're ordaining an elder today, trust your pastors unless you can clearly show from Scripture that they are wrong by rightly interpreting Scripture in its context, not plucking things out of their context. Not by any new revelation, 
because there aren't any, but by sound, faithful interpretation of Scripture. You know, we're ordaining Brian and hopefully every elder that is ordained, we ordain because you have seen in them and we see in them a faithfulness to Christ and a faithfulness to His Word, an ability to rightly interpret and apply and teach His Word. And then you trust and follow unless you can show biblically where something is wrong. And then if you can, you have a responsibility to come to us and show us where we're wrong. Number three under application, steer clear of all of these word of faith teachers. Listen, they're a danger to your soul. How many people have been destroyed by this mess? Because they're underneath it and they embrace it and then they get sick and they supposedly are supposed to be healed and they name it and they claim it and, they, and then to be told by that teacher, it's because of your lack of faith that you're still sick. That's not the way Paul taught. That's not the way Jesus taught. It's not the way Scripture teaches. As I said, the easiest way to take everything someone has is to promise them everything they want. These people bilk God's church for their own promotion and justify it with twisting of Scripture. See, like Abraham, and we're going to talk about Abraham's faith as we move forward, but I wanted to put a few bones on why I so hate this word of faith teaching because it is anti-biblical. But the, the last thing I will say to you is like Abraham, trust God. Trust God and wait for His promises to be fulfilled. And never again, either in the presence of Christians or in, the prayer time, in your prayer time at home, say, I claim this, or unless it's a clear promise of Scripture. I claim Jesus is coming back bodily. Praise God, right? I decree no plague will come near my tent. Don't do stuff like that. You insult and dishonor God when you do that. It's a lack of submission to His sovereign will and a trust in Him to watch over you and give you what you need. See, the power is not in your hands. It's in His and He always does what's right. He promises you a life of trial on this earth, but He promises to make those trials work for you. So trust Him and wait on Him. Wait on Him. Do not try to be God or be in control. Trust Christ. Wait on Christ. Pursue to know Christ. Believe His true promises. You'll have hope for this life that makes it into the next, and you'll be a fr fruitful and godly witness. Sorry, but no, Adam did not go to the moon. He didn't walk on water. He didn't fly. Some people talk that. Whatever else these people might dream up, sorry, you're not a little God, and your faith is not a force, no matter what Yoda says. You can't call things into existence with your words. You can't defeat God's plan by negative confession. And you can't prophesy your future. Only God can do that. And you are not Him. I think as Paul Tripp says, there is a God and it's not you. Embrace your space. So trust Him, wait on Him, rest in Him and in His salvation in Christ. You have all you need right now to do all that He calls you to do. He's raised you from the dead, spiritually speaking, and given you faith in His Son. And He's told you what He plans to do all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. And most preciously, Christ, our Lord, our Savior. And His salvation is a free gift to those who will trust Him. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, protect your church from the wolves. And divorce us from any of their teaching. And help us to root out of our thought and practice anything that would 
be against your word and in accord with what these people teach. It's not a question of whether or not they are false teachers. It's a question of which ones they are. You promised they would be here among us. And that Satan's apostles masquerade as angels of light when they're following the prince of darkness. I don't know any of these people's hearts. I don't know if they're just deceived too. But I know that what they're teaching is not your word. So set us free from that and unto the truth of the living God. The God in whom we also believe. The God who obviously preeminently proved by bringing life from the dead in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And who calls into existence things that are not yet existence. Things that are according to your plan. Things you have promised and planned and will work out. Everything in accord with your decree. Deliver, deliver us from falsehood. And establish us in the truth. That we might walk in peace and assurance and confidence in faith in Jesus. That we might walk through the good and easy times with joy in a way that glorifies you. And yet also be able to walk through the hard and bad times in a way that glorifies you. Without thinking something's wrong. Help us, Lord, to follow you, Lord Jesus. To deny ourselves to take up our cross and follow you. I pray for any who are not your children who are listening that you would grant them faith and repentance, Father, that you would plant seeds of the gospel. I know with confidence that everyone given to Christ will come to him. I pray for those of us who know you, that you would grow us in grace. Again, that you give us a little bit more boldness, a willingness to point out the unfruitful works of darkness, to be bold witnesses to, and especially as leaders in your church, to, to be faithful to love and serve the sheep, to warn them of danger, warn them of wolves. So bless and build your church. We look to you and trust in you. And we thank you that you are doing exactly that and that nothing can stop you. It's in Jesus' holy name that I pray and ask it. Amen.